If God has moved in, in your life in a, a great way this past week and you have something that would just give honor and glory to him and you want to share that, I want to give you that moment to do that in case there is someone. Thank you, Charles. Uh, you all may know uh, the Dagenhart family it was a part of our church for years and years. Uh, David Dagenhart is home now. And recovering from COVID, he was in the uh, hospital for like maybe 10 days. He ended up in ICU. But the good news right now is that David is home now. And so it's a a real praise. And uh, whether folks used to go to our church and they don't anymore, and we have a lot of new people coming, we're all in the body of Christ. So I wanted to share with our body here about David Dagenhart and God's miracle in his life. Yes, that's great news. Thank you, Lord, for helping David Dagenhart. Thank you, Lord. I just wanted to say, since retreat, um, one of the topics was appraising perspective, and it has changed my life prior to retreat and continues to change my life as I'm honest with myself and realize that my attitude and my perspective on a situation vastly changes how I feel about that situation. So it doesn't change anything about my circumstances, but it absolutely changes my attitude and it changes the way I see God and the way I see his provision in the problem. And so I would just encourage you that if you're going through a season of trials, that you would praise God and just force yourself to look for the ways that he is in it and what he is teaching you through it, and it will vastly change your attitude about it. Amen. Thank you, Laura. Very true. Um, I want to thank everybody who had been praying about my family situation. And I know that there there will be many who don't know anything about it. Um, Jack and I got married a little over a year ago. And um, my family was not happy about that. And they cast me out of the family. Um, I was not included in any family celebrations of any kind. So there was no Thanksgiving, nothing for Christmas, nothing for New Year's, nothing for birthdays. Um, My youngest daughter got married. Um, last April, and we were not invited to the wedding. And um, so it's been a difficult situation, and some of you know about that. Some just know that there was family problems. Um, And uh, we had requested prayer, and many, many did pray about this. And um, it's coming around. Um, I called my daughter, who seemed to be the instigator of whatever was going on with them. And um, I just called her one day, and she accepted my call because she wasn't accepting any kind of communication from me. And um, I just said, "Um, I've been thinking about you and just wondering how you are. And um, we went for lunch together and uh, things were going very nicely 
and uh, she was telling me how um, her husband wants to have Thanksgiving this year at their house. Uh, my daughter's never had any kind of get-together um, holidays or anything at her house, um, but her husband wants to have it this year, and she said, and you're included. Hmm. So, thank you, everybody. That's wonderful, Kay. Answers to prayer. Thank you, Pastor Charles. Matthew 16, 26. Let's look at this verse today. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits or loses his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Many people like a good bargain. You, you probably do, too. Garage sales are so popular because it's just great to find that treasure for such a good price. My mom used to love to find clothing bargains and she would brag about those to me. It didn't really matter to me about what she paid for that dress or whatever, but she was excited to get it for such a great price. And people buy fixer uppers and then uh, fix them up and sell them at a bargain and they get excited about that. And, and in Jesus's writings here that we have recorded in the Gospels, oftentimes he uses economic examples to make a spiritual point. So here in that passage, he is speaking about profit and loss and the loss being one's soul. And by soul, I mean your spirit. Okay, the the real you on the inside. I think that we should take Jesus's words here very seriously. When we hear about something lost, let's say an uh, animal is lost and, you know, you see the sign on the telephone pole or, or worse, a child is lost and we are sad and, and we pray and a search party is formed to look for that child. Some of you may remember radio storyteller Paul Harvey and he would have the rest of the story. Remember that he told a story once of, of a man who had written his doctoral dissertation and then lost it. It was before the uh, era of uh, computers and he had failed to make a copy of it. And somehow he lost it. And so he put lost paper signs all over the town. But, uh, but apparently he never found his paper. But there's nothing as tragic as a lost soul. To be without God and separated from God for all eternity I want to just briefly share with you four characteristics of someone who has lost their soul. And if you want to hear something really scary this Halloween, this is it. First is that person is utterly alone. When you're outside of Christ, you're utterly alone. They may have lots of friends around them laughing, but won't be there on Judgment Day. They'll stand before God Alone, their friends won't be anywhere to be found. No one will be there, just them standing before a holy God. There'll be no one there to defend them. Tells us in Revelation 20, verse 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead. Great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. 
Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Thomas Paine, in his work, Age of Reason, said people should cast aside any belief in God. But then on his deathbed, here are his recorded words. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Christ, help me. Stay with me. It is hell to be left alone. French atheist Voltaire on his deathbed is recorded, said, I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. Oh, Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. These men knew that they were deserted and alone. But perhaps you're sitting out there today and you don't realize that because, again, you're surrounded by smiling friends. But there will be a day where all of us will stand alone before God. But we who are in Christ won't be alone on that day. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who will be standing there with us. Another characteristic of a lost soul is he is defenseless. He is defenseless. John three eighteen. Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So as this person stands there, they stand condemned already. There's nothing that they can do about this situation, nothing that they can do to save themselves, nothing that they can do to convince God, God, I'm really a good person. They may tell God I attended church, I gave to charities, I was a good spouse and parent, and I did many good deeds. Works to earn God's favor then will be futile. All the person will be able to do is hear the sentence pronounced, and that sentence will be just and true. The third characteristic is he is perishing even now. First Corinthians one eighteen. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I hope you notice the verbs in the present tense there. This is the person who's walking on a spider web over a pit. The arrow has already been released from the bow and is flying through the air toward their heart. They're floating in shark infested waters with a nasty gash on their leg. Their head is on the chopping block and the blade's about to come down, but yet they're talking like everything's just fine. His only hope in that moment is being rescued and he can't save himself. There's nothing he or you or I can do on our own to save ourselves. When the unbeliever dies in his sins, all hope is gone. His eternal destiny is fixed. And fourthly, he will be tormented forever. The Bible describes a real hell, not a mythical hell, a mythological hell, but a real hell in many ways as an eternal fire, as a place of utter darkness, as a place of torment, as a place where the conscience lives on. 
I remember one of my first jobs, I think it was my first real job, was a sporting goods company in Canton, Ohio. And occasionally we'd load up our van and I would deliver sporting goods to various businesses. And one time I went to a, a mental hospital in Carrollton, Ohio, and I, I will never forget this place. I was 18 years old. The smells, the sights, the sounds are still real in my memory. The, the shrieks and the groans and the smell of that place. I wanted to get out there as quickly as I could. I thought, this is like a glimpse of hell. But the wailing of the eternally condemned will be much worse because it will never end. Again, the book of Revelation tells us in two places, chapter 20 and then chapter 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 14, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. So let's read Jesus's words again in Matthew 16:26. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits or loses his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus mentions the world, the word world there. And it's the Greek word cosmos, and it has three different meanings in the New Testament. It, it can mean planet Earth. It, it can mean people, like John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the people of the world. And the third meaning is the fallen system of humans opposed to God. And the context determines the meaning of that word cosmos. It's the fallen system that Jesus is referring to here, not planet Earth or people. Let me read 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world, it, that worldly system and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. John tells us here not to love the world, this world system, because it's opposed to God. It's ruled by Satan, whom the Bible calls the God of this world. The lust of the flesh is the desire to do what God has forbidden, coveting after what God has disallowed. It could be that third or fourth piece of pie. It could be speaking negatively against that other person, insisting that it must be my way. I'm not speaking of the occasional lapse here, but a habitual pattern of sin. Lust of the eyes is the desire to have something God hasn't given you. It's like window shopping forbidden things. 
captivated by outward show, the newest, the shiniest, the costliest. It must be mine. And when it isn't, I'm frustrated. The boastful pride of life is the desire to be someone whom God hasn't made you to be. That movie star, that famous celebrity. I must be the best dressed person. It's the show off, the braggart. Now, let's put the three together. The urge to do something, have something or be something outside of God's will. That's the world. It's about self, promoting self, not God. And that person would try to gain the whole world if they only could. They would desire to do, have and be whatever they wanted. At the price of their soul. Yet countless people sell their souls for less than that. I think of Esau in the Old Testament who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Or Jesus who sold Judas, who sold out Jesus and sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver. Many others have sold their soul to the devil for just a moment of popularity, a little money, some fame. And if you just did a Google search, sold their soul to the devil. I just made a brief little list here of people who they say in their own words that they sold their soul to the devil. Jimmy Page, guitarist of Led Zeppelin. Robert Johnson, the blues guitarist in the 20s. John Lennon of the Beatles. Snoop Dogg, the rapper. Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones in writing Sympathy for the Devil song. Bob Dylan. And from more ancient history, Faust, who made the deal with the devil. And throughout history, people have attempted to gain the whole world. Alexander the Great pretty much conquered the world and then mourned the fact that there were no more worlds to conquer. You have King Solomon in the Bible. The richest and wisest person, perhaps, who ever lived said, it's all vanity. Charlemagne, the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire from 800 to 814 A.D. His tomb was opened up a couple of hundred years ago and they discovered he was still his skeleton still had the royal robes on. His skull was still wearing his crown, but there was a Bible sitting on his lap. So someone must have gotten into this tomb earlier and opened the Bible to the very verse I read you today and had his bony finger pointing to that verse, except it was Mark 836, the parallel passage. All the fame, fortune, power, money, popularity is still a lost soul. Nothing will satisfy your soul except Jesus Christ. So don't sell your soul for a moment of popularity and fame. Then Jesus asks, or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And he pictures a person who sold his soul and tries to gain the world and then realizes it's a bad deal. On the day of judgment, this person realizes, oh, no, I made a big mistake. I totally went all in for the world and the things of the world. And now I'm wrong. I, I want to go back. I want to buy it back. What can I do? Nothing. It's too late. 
In business, if you make a bad deal, somehow you can get out of it and just take a loss. But if you sell your soul, you can't redeem it back. It's a total loss. Nothing can make up for it because your soul is priceless. You have nothing else of eternal worth that could pay for it. If there had been some other way to redeem lost souls other than the cross of Jesus Christ, God would have taken it. But there is no other way except Jesus, because the only other priceless thing in the universe is his blood. So think about that. Do you realize, do you grasp how precious your soul really is? It's as precious as the blood of God's son, Jesus Christ. Jesus left Heaven and came to this earth and took a body. He died on the cross, bearing God's wrath against your sin and mine. Then he rose from the dead. Only that sacrifice he made could save your lost soul. The only way you can go to hell is over Christ's dead body. But yet people have thought, maybe you've thought this. I've certainly read it and heard it expressed. Endless punishment in hell. For a few measly sins. Why not just 70 years in purgatory or something? The reason hell is forever is because the human soul is priceless. No amount of time can compensate for its loss. What will a person give in exchange for his soul? Well, maybe 10,000 years in hell and then I can buy it back. No. It's impossible. Nothing can buy it back. We sell out when we want something other than Jesus more than him. We want what we want right now. And if we die in that state, die without repenting of our sins, we're lost because we put other things before God, which is idolatry. A couple verses before Jesus spoke the sentence that we're considering today He said this, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. I want to give a final word to two groups of people this morning, because that's probably whom I'm speaking to. The majority of which is the first group to the Christian. If your soul is priceless, shouldn't we be more eager to win souls for Christ? We parents. How much effort and time and energy and money do we spend on our children's? Worldly endeavors, that they'll have worldly success. Do we spend that same amount of time, energy, effort, thought, prayer for their eternal success? And how about our our friends, our family members, even our acquaintances that don't know Christ? Do we stand idly by while they perish? Don't we care that they're going to hell? And I'm speaking to myself here, too. A really powerful video, especially for younger people, is called Dare to Share. Check that out sometime.
That'll, that'll help motivate you to want to share your faith with your friend. Yeah, you might get laughed at. You may get rejected by someone. But think about it. Isn't their soul worth it? And now a word to the unbeliever. And there may be no unbelievers in this room. But in case. Because this could be the day you die. And you would be eternally lost. I remember thinking about that before I was saved at age 19. And every once in a while at age 17 or 18, I would realize I'm lost and on my way to hell. And I would be worried about that for a minute. But then I would forget about it and go back to living the way I was. I'm so glad I did not die at that time because that's where I would be. And I think about a man in our church that we served in in Marysville. And this is probably we've been there maybe five or seven years at this time. And this guy had been in church his whole life and sitting there and right in the pews, just like you are today, hearing me preach the gospel. And he told me, I got saved at the Promise Keepers event. And he said, I have been in church my whole life, but I was never saved. I never knew Jesus. And I could see that there was a profound change in this man's life. I would have always thought, well, certainly he's a Christian. He sits on the second row every Sunday. But he said he wasn't. And I saw fruit in his life that I didn't see before. Not like he was a real bad guy, but I saw just a joy and a light and exuberance in this man that I hadn't seen before. He would have been eternally lost, even though he was sitting on the second row of the church pew year after year. But it doesn't have to be that way. Just surrender your life to Christ. Believe on his death on the cross in your place and then follow him as the Lord of your life. It's the best bargain you'll ever make because it's free. God forgives sins. He adopts us into his forever family and gives us the free gift of eternal life, all in exchange for believing it's true. Don't forfeit your soul. Give it to Jesus. But what will I profit by gaining Jesus and not the world? You will gain everything. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray right now for that person who's outside of Christ. If there is someone there, I want to give that opportunity so no one would be able to say, as they stand before you, I never had a chance to hear the gospel. No one ever told me. If that's you today and you need to make a first time commitment to Christ, just raise your hand right here when no one's looking around and I'll pray for you. Just want to see if there is such a person. It's okay. We all had a moment where we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Okay. I want to pray for these who are believers, Lord, that we will value our soul, that we will value it more than the things of this world. And that we will take care of our soul and nurture it and, and develop it by spending time with you and reading your word and, and, and obeying you, Lord. And help us to think often of that person around us, that they're in our sphere of influence. And we've never shared the hope that we have, our faith in Christ with them. And grant us those opportunities, those open doors that we can walk through and, and just share our faith with them. Give us that boldness and that confidence, Lord. Help us. 
thank you for what you've done for us. That you gave your eternal priceless blood for our priceless souls. We are eternally grateful. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.